Monday, Carrie and I will have been married 24 years. We had that I do moment. Thank you. And I'm not selling used cars here. Besides following Jesus, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. But here's the thing. Before our, our wedding, the night before, we had a dress rehearsal for the wedding, right? So everyone knew where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there. But here's the thing also that's happening emotionally in me. This is really happening. Tomorrow I'm going to walk in single and I'm going to walk out and come out married. We're going to say, I do, and it will be as long as we both shall live. For better, for worse, you know, for keeps. And there's that, that moment like, okay, this is really coming. This is really happening tomorrow. So there's a sense of, yeah, this is happening. And as I think about Jesus' triumphal entry, what we call Palm Sunday, I can't help but think that somehow this is Jesus' dress rehearsal as well. Hang in here with me. Here's what I mean. He comes as king, and we're going to see that. He comes as the true bridegroom to take back his people to himself. But there are also some things that in his first coming, he leaves undone. Some things that are incomplete. And it will not be until his imminent return that those things will be fully consummated. Those things will fully come into full fruition. And that his kingdom will reign here on earth as it is in heaven. So that's where we're going today. To see kind of from a really a 35,000 foot picture here. And I'm going to be in the Gospel of Matthew for the most part. Chapters 20 through 26. We're not going to read through all, all those chapters. But just spot, spotting those things along the way. And seeing how this first coming was really a dress rehearsal for what Jesus ultimately is going to do in history. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dig in to God's Word. So Lord, I thank you for coming as our King, for saving us, and preparing us as a bride for yourself. And so now would you open the eyes of our hearts, that we might see all that you have for us, your riches, and Lord, if there are some of us that need to respond or need to prepare for your return, would you cause them to do that today? Would you be at work in our hearts and help us respond to you properly, Lord Jesus, our true King. And it's in your name I pray these things. Amen. So the first thing I want you to see here, and starting with the passage that Paulie read for us, is that Jesus came and made a claim. The King's claim. I am the King. During his earthly ministry, he kind of downplayed it because timing was of the essence. But now, in this moment, on this Palm Sunday, Jesus is acting like he is the king. And he starts out by orchestrating the details in accordance with the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. Just to remind you, verse 2 in, in uh, chapter 21. Jesus says, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you anything, say, the Lord needs them. The king needs them. And he will send them right away. This took place, listen, to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, a colt 
the foal of a donkey. So you know, Jesus is looking to fulfill this prophecy. And then he does it. When the donkey's there, he gets on the donkey. His disciples, they throw their cloaks on it as a sign of respect and submission to him. He gets on it and he rides into town. The people are throwing palm branches on the ground. They're throwing their cloaks on the ground. And he willingly does that. He, is, he knows exactly what he is he is communicating by doing so. And then, as people, he's going by the, he receives the people's praise as they shout, Hosanna. And that word Hosanna literally means, save us, we pray. Save us, we pray. The people are saying, Hosanna, save us to the Son of David. Jesus is the prophecy fulfilled in Second uh, uh, Kings chapter 6 as the true Son of David of the human origin. And then Hosanna in the highest heaven. He's from divine, of divine origin as well. And then he says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He is God's representative. And Jesus never stops the train. Says, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute, you guys. You got it all wrong. I, I'm sorry. There's been a misunderstanding here. No. He's saying, you're right. You're right to call Hosanna out to me. And in fact, the Pharisees in the Luke account of this They'll say, Jesus, silence your, silence your disciples. And, and he says, look, if I silence them, then the rocks would crack. This is what's going on. I am the true king. He's communicating exactly what he wants to. And then he gets into town. And then what happens? He comes into the temple and he overturns the tables. He takes care of business. He is, he's saying, hey, you know, quoting from the scriptures, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. My house. Jesus didn't work in the temple, but he says it's my house. The place where God dwells. I am king. I am the king. So he makes the king's claim. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, then, like today, some welcomed the king coming. They were excited, at least they, what they thought he was going to do. But some denied, or some resisted him. They were threatened that he might usurp their power and their position. And I think the thing is, is true of many of us here. If you're determined to have self-rule, then you're not so excited about King Jesus coming into your life and taking reign and rule there. How have you responded to his claim, being king, being king of your life, king of your heart? But this is where Jesus deviates, though. He's come as king. And the people are expecting him to now lead a rebellion, throw out the Romans, and set up an earthly kingdom. Here's the problem with this. If Jesus would have done that right there, unfortunately all of his subjects would have been disqualified and all that they would receive is God's perfect judgment. Because at this point, their sin is not atoned for. And as the scripture says in Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In the same letter in chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. That is what we all deserve from this king if we are not atoned for. 
Jesus did come to save, we pray. But it wasn't from the tyranny of Rome. It was from the tyranny of sin and death. And to purify a bride for himself. Again, remember, this is a dress rehearsal for the king. And now this savior, this king, this bridegroom, he has to face the foe that keeps his people chained. He must face sin and death himself. So this moves us on to the king's sacrifice. And this is again earlier in Matthew's narrative, chapter 20, verses uh, 17 through 18. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, and on the way he took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests, to the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And on the third day, he'll be raised to life. Now, realize again, the disciples are listening to this, and they are confused. They've heard this before, but they kind of chalk it up to, you know how Jesus says those things that are kind of super spiritual, but I have no idea what he's talking about? I think that's what's going on here. I mean, he can't be literal, right? I mean, he's not really saying that he's the king and then he's going to die. I mean, he, he can't be the king. He's, he's got to live and, and set up his kingdom. But Jesus is being literal. He's telling him exactly what's going to happen. He's going to die to take God's judgment upon himself and draw all men and women to himself and draw them into his kingdom. The Gospel of John says it this way. Chapter 12, 31 through 33. Now the time for judgment on, now it's time for judgment on this world. And now the prince of this world is being driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. He's going to the cross. He's going to be lifted up on the cross. This is actually a huge sign of shame and humiliation. And again, this is confusing to his disciples, but he's going to offer up himself as the sinless king for the payment of our sins because we can't pay it. He's going to do it to purify his bride, his church, his people, because we can't do it. But here's the thing also. Jesus' king is, kingdom is so much bigger than just the nation the physical nation of Israel. And here we get the picture of what heaven thinks about this in Revelation chapter 4, verse 9 through 10. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, tongue, tribe, language, and people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Did you see that? A future reign on the earth under the King. Where Jesus is taking things. But it hasn't happened yet. It's a dress rehearsal. Here's what I want you to think about for a second. We know in our theology that Jesus is God in the flesh, right? All power and authority 
are given to him, he's one with the Father. Why are we drawn to him? Are we drawn to him because he's powerful and he's going to have the last say? I don't think we're drawn to him because of his power. I think we're drawn to him because of his grace, because of his love, because of his sacrifice that directed his power. Why are we drawn to the cross? It's a symbol of execution, of humiliation, of degradation, of abuse. And we're drawn to it because we remember what the sinless king did. He went to the cross for you and me in our place because of his love. And it graciously gives us life. Graciously gives us his righteousness. Graciously gives us all things and so much more. That's why we're drawn. That's why we're drawn to Jesus. That's why we're drawn to the cross. 1 John 4.10 This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Brothers and sisters, subjects of the King, those who will be His bride, I want to encourage you to be here Friday night to celebrate the sacrifice of the King on Good Friday. As we remember His sacrifice. Remember His love and His grace. It'll be a great time to lean into that. As brutal and as costly as it was. Somehow it is a beautiful sacrifice for us. And I'm asking the question also. Have you, resp- have you responded to the sacrifice of the king? Have you said, Jesus, what you've done, that's for me. And I want to turn my life over to you. Are you in love with the bridegroom? Are you keeping him at arm's length? A distance. Remember, this is a dress rehearsal. And Jesus came first to capture hearts before he's going to set up his kingdom here on earth. But he will come one day. I also want to remind you of what he he said at the end of Matthew 20, verse 18, and on the third day, he'll be raised to life. This king conquers that foe. Right? And we know the rest of the story, if you're familiar with it. He appears to Mary, and then to Peter, then to the eleven, then to 500 witnesses. For 40 days, he makes himself known, and then he ascends into heaven. And he sits at the right hand of God the Father. He goes away. But he promises to come back. And this is the next portion. The king's promise. When he will come back. When he will enact his kingdom. And throughout these chapters, through Matthew 20 through 26, Jesus is telling everybody. He's telling his disciples and his followers. He's also telling his enemies. The same thing. And again, we're not going to go through all those, those chapters, but here's some highlights of these things about his return. Number one, he's going to come back in the clouds as he left 
Jesus' enemies, the high priest and the the Sanhedrin, they asked Jesus, are you God's coming king? Are you the blessed one? And he says to them, it is as you say. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. I've been sitting at the right hand and I'm coming in the clouds. Other thing we need to know, it's going to be suddenly and unexpected. Matthew 24, 44. So you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. It's also said in the Scripture, He'll come like a thief in the night. We don't know when that's going to happen. It will also be worldwide. Everyone will see it. Matthew 24, 27. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible in the west, so the coming of the Son of Man. Everyone's going to know when Jesus returns. (laughs) Maybe it'll be on CNN or Fox News. I don't know. But everyone will know. And this refutes the claims of some cults that say Jesus has already returned spiritually. No. If Jesus had returned, everyone will know. Everyone's going to know it. But it also begs the question again. Are you ready? Am I ready? You see, because the response of Jesus' return by most in this world will be weeping. Matthew 24, 30. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Those who reject the King receive nothing but judgment. Revelation 20.15 Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. It will be true and just, but it will be final. Jesus says, I'm coming back. Are you ready? Are you ready? And this is what he says to his people. And this is where, if you've been tuning out and you're a follower of Christ, you need to tune in right now, okay? Because there are three parables in in Matthew 25 that Jesus wants his people to know. The first parable is that of the ten virgins. It's a wedding setting, right? Just like I started to talk about. And in in Jewish weddings, the, the couple would get engaged and then the Groom would go away, just like Jesus has gone away. He would prepare a place for the bride, and then he will come back at some unannounced time, and people need to be ready, both the bride and the wedding party. And so he says, this is what's happening. There's a, the groom has gone away. And so there are ten virgins, wedding party, and they're waiting with lamps. Because he might come at the, at the nighttime. Five are wise. They have extra oil for their lamps for the night. Five are foolish. They're thinking, ah, oh, whenever he comes, we, we, we got this. But then the announcement comes. The bridegroom is coming. And all of a sudden, the five foolish ones are panicking. Oh, we need, can, you borrow, can we borrow some of your, your oil? <laughs> no. We may not have enough. We, we're prepared. We're ready. You're not ready. Go out and get some. And so they do, they do go out and get some. Unfortunately, it's too late. And when they're knocking at the door, saying, let us in. 
The answer is, I'm sorry, we never knew you. I don't know you. Here's what Jesus is trying to say to us. We need to be ready and living for the return of our king, our bridegroom, and not living for this world. Not living in a way where we're living for the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. That's our aim. And then all of a sudden we think Jesus is coming, try and flip the switch at the last minute. No. Be living now for the bridegroom. Don't think you're going to have time to flip the switch because you won't. It's going to be sudden, it'll be fast, and you'll be too late. And Jesus is saying this out of love. He's not saying this out of spite. But be ready. Are we living for that bridegroom? You see, it's not just intellectual understanding that Jesus is the Savior, but walking with the Savior and the Lord, developing that relationship. This is a dress rehearsal. Are you ready for the return of our King and our Bridegroom? Number two, be ready. The parable of the talents, Matthew 25, 14 through 30. If you know the story, a master is going away on a long, long trip. And he, he entrusts his stewards with his finances. He gives one of his stewards five talents, which is a, a whole lot of money. If it's gold, it's in the millions. If it's silver, it's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. But it's a lot of money. He gives the first one five. He gives the second one two. He gives the last one one. He says, I'm going away. I'm going to come back. Be ready. And if you know the story... After a long time, the master comes back and he asks them to give account. And the one who has five says, Master, you gave me five. I've invested them for you in your kingdom. I got five more for you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. The one with two. Master, you gave me two talents. I invested them and I earned two more for you in your kingdom. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. The last one. You know, master, uh, you're a pretty shrewd guy. You're a little harsh. And so uh, I just decided to put the investment on ice. I buried it. So here, here, here you go. Here you go. And the master, in indignation, says, you wicked and lazy servant. And he throws him out into the outer darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth. What Jesus is trying to tell us is what are you doing with what the king has invested in you? What are you doing with the gifts, the talents, the resources he has given you? Are you investing them for his kingdom or are you just burying them and sitting on them? Again, are you living for that kingdom? You know, I, I know theologically, maybe some of you are thinking here, wait, wait a minute, Pastor, we're not saved by works, and you're exactly right. You're exactly right. What, what Jesus is trying to illustrate here is that I have entrusted you with giftings, talents, resources, and I want you to invest them in my kingdom. I don't want you to be living for yourself and lazily just putting those things aside. 
I have, an, I have a difference for eternity to make, and I've invested in you. So be faithful. Be a faithful servant with what I've given you. Remember, this is a dress rehearsal. What have we done with what the king has entrusted to us? And last of all, the parable of the sheep and the goats. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And the question there is, how did we treat the least of these, my brothers? Those who are hungry, thirsty, naked, poor, homeless, in prison. How did we treat them? And Jesus says, look, and as much as you've done it to these, the least of my brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. In contrast, in verse 45, and he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Again, this is a dress rehearsal. Are we ready for the Son of Man, for the King, for the Bridegroom to arrive? And are we doing so in how we minister to the very least of these that God puts around us? What are we doing with that? Are we ignoring them? Or are we ministering to Jesus himself? That's what I want you to think. When you see that person on the corner and you're thinking, what do I do? Think, I want to minister to Jesus himself. Don't be blinded by their veneer. Think about ministering to Jesus. And you will not lose your reward, my friends. The king is telling us to be ready. This is a dress rehearsal. Be ready for his return. And that begs the, qu the question of the king's timing, right? How many of you in this room know that your timing is not God's timing? Anyone experience that? I've experienced that multiple times in my life. And that is true with Jesus' return. First of all, only the Father knew and knows. Matthew twenty four thirty six. But about the day and the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, speaking of himself, but only the Father. Here's another, another just theological tip. Don't be duped by those that say they figured it out. They've been counting up the numbers and the numbers of letters or whatever they think, whatever formula they think they have conjured up to, to calculate Jesus' return. Folks, I am 58 years old and I've seen this foolishness over and over again. And people have sold their property. They have done foolish things in the name of some fool saying, I know when Jesus is returning. All we need to do is look at God's word right here and say, no, you do not. Because if Jesus didn't know when he was on the earth, when he's fully God and fully man, how do you know? So that gets me a little fired up, but I've seen it too many times and it ticks me off. So do not buy into that lie. Okay? End of rant. Let me give the grace side of this. His delay is grace-filled. His delay is grace-filled. This is what the Apostle Peter would say out of his second letter. Chapter 3, verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years. 
and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But with the Lord, the day will, but with, with the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything uh, done in it will be laid bare. Since every, everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You have to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. You know, every day we can look forward to say, maybe today Jesus is coming. And there are certainly days where we say, Lord, come quickly. Whether it's our personal tragedy, stuff that's going on in us, or just the hurt of our world. I'm so heartbroken for what happened in Nashville. So heartbroken for what's happening in Ukraine. And doesn't it make you say, Lord, come quickly. And I long for that. But here's the thing. When He comes, that's it. The door is shut. There's no place to respond to Him, no place to repent, no place to call on Him for forgiveness. It is done, it is finished, and judgment will be final. So if there are days where we suffer as we wait for the Lord. Remember that we suffer for His grace, that some more may come in. And that's my prayer for next weekend, that some more will come in. Because again, it will be final. It will be final. There will be no more opportunity. And this earth will be destroyed, and Jesus will bring a new heaven and a new earth. And indeed, all will be made right. But again, this is a dress rehearsal. We're living in the now, but not yet. So I want to ask you once again, if you have not responded to this King and the grace and the life and the love that He wants to give you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? He is calling on you even today. And I'm going to pray at the end, and maybe you want to respond in your heart that way. And then for some of us who know Jesus, but we're kind of just keeping him at arm's length because we're kind of have our foot one half in the world and one half in, in his kingdom, when are you going to stop messing around and make Jesus not your boyfriend, but your husband and live in full fidelity to him? And I, I realize the Christian walk is, is not just you know like this. It's up and down. But when will you decide that he's in charge? And I'm not going to live a, a double life. Because that's what Jesus wants to do in your life. So that you're ready. You're ready. So you don't have that, oh, this is really happening moment when he does come. Because he's going to come. And he's told us. And he told us in love. So let's be ready.
So let me pray for us. And then we're going to have a dress rehearsal Hosanna moment. So, Lord Jesus, again, I thank you for coming as our King, as our Bridegroom who brought us back to yourself, Lord. And I pray for those persons in this room today that need to make that decision to give their heart, to give their life to you. Would you open up their hearts and draw them to yourself? So that if that's you, my friend, I, I'm just going to pray a prayer and my words aren't magical, but they are sincere words of a repentant heart. Lord Jesus, I know I'm Pray these in your heart with me. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I deserve your judgment. But I thank you for coming and dying for me on the cross. That you might take my penalty, my sin upon yourself. Thank you for rising from the dead and conquering sin and death. And giving me life I don't have in myself. So I ask you, Lord Jesus, even now to come into my heart to come into my life. Change me. Make me yours. Make me your son, your daughter, your subject, your bride. And Lord, help me to live for your kingdom, for your return, and what you want to do in me and through me. Lord Jesus, I surrender. Come into my life. And then, brother or sister, if you are on the fence, you've been having your foot in the world and your foot in the kingdom, I ask you to pray with me even now. Lord Jesus, I repent. Forgive me for living for things that are going to pass away. Forgive me for giving my heart to something or someone else besides you. Lord, I repent. I return back to you as you have been sitting and knocking at the, at the door of my heart. So come into my heart. Come, let's dine together. Me with you, and you with me. Help me to see the beauty of your goodness, of knowing you, of following you, of obeying you. And Lord Jesus, when I do fail, make me quick to ask forgiveness and return to you. Let me be ready. For your return, my bridegroom, let me be found faithful as your servant. Lord, let me be treating the least of these as I'm treating you as I wait for your return. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Even so come. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray this in the matchless name that you have. That Yahweh is salvation. And as we look forward to your return, doing us what we can't do ourselves. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.